Welcome to the New Big Five podcast. I'm Graham Green. My guest today is the American photographer Steve Winter. Steve, thanks for being on the New Big Five podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Steve has photographed wildlife from Cuba to Russia, his work appearing in National Geographic, Time, Geo and more. He was the 2008 Wildlife Photographer of the Year and a World Press Photo Award winner. He's photographed all kinds of animals, but it's his work on big cats that he's famous for, many of which he's now fighting to save. Steve, where did your fascination with big cats come from? It was totally by accident, actually. On my first natural history story for National Geographic, I was totally ignorant about animals and didn't take a picture of an animal till I was 34 years old. But um, I was visited by a cat one night and uh, that changed my life. What kind of cat was that? Well, I was lying in my bed one night and I heard the stairs creaking and then the floorboards creaking. And I was scared to death that someone was coming to kill me because I'd already shot the my naturalist father and brother were shotguns. They didn't die, but they were in the hospital. And then all of a sudden I heard scratching under the door and then sniffing. And I radioed down because I was scared to death because I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about living in a jungle, a cloud forest in Guatemala. And I told the guy what had happened. He said in Spanish, Steve, don't worry. It's just a black panther. (laughs) Now, obviously, I asked him, hey, Juan Carlos, how come you didn't bother to tell me I was living with a black panther for the last five weeks? And just like everyone, when we traveled, they said, uh, we didn't want to worry you, you know. We get that a lot when we travel. People go out of their way to make life wonderful. But it'd be nice to know if you're living with a black panther. What was it about those cats, that first encounter or the stories that followed? What was it that sent you down this path where it really, you know, occupies your time and and your mind? Big cats have an incredible ancient uh, allure to us as humans. Um, Whether it's the tiger, the lion, leopard, cheetah, jaguar, snow leopard i mean you name it these cats have always been uh, worshipped revered feared in all the cultures in which they've lived and as a layman as a guy who was a photojournalist it was an easy animal to become attached to because in many ways they're majestic they're beautiful they're large Mm. They they have action in their lives, even though cats are cats and they spend most of their time sleeping or eating or laying around and being flat cats. But for a layman, when I first came into it, um, to me, it was like, God, these animals are incredible. Uh, and finding something that had never been done before. And that became one of my like hooks at Nat Geo stories that had never been done before uh, are always going to get a yes. Big cats have constantly called you back. So you obviously feel that attachment because you mentioned some of the things to do with gods and myths there, but is danger a big part of it? They're they're exciting animals to be around, aren't they? (laughs) 
Yeah, they are. But in the beginning, I didn't think about that much. And I you had to you have to break it down because people go, oh, how'd you learn how to be around dangerous animals? I said, I, I never did. Um, it's the people you work with that you have to have an ultimate trust in their ability. And, you know, it's only been a couple of times that I've backed away from something uh, as far as danger goes, work with people you trust. Yeah. I was just diving in Indonesia and I was with sharks and they're, they're misunderstood, of course. And I wondered if that's the same with big cats, that you can be around them, that they're not uh, maybe what people have in their minds. Oh, 100%. We haven't been part of their search image for millennia. And when you say that people go, ah, come on, thousand years ago, cats hunted people. It's like, no, we have forward-facing eyes who walk on two legs. And though it may not have been that way in the past, but if you look at certain oils and things that people put on themselves, I mean, today we wash our clothes and detergents that have fragrance, dryer sheets with fragrance. We use toothpaste, shampoos, colognes, perfumes. When we walk by one of these cats, we don't smell like food. We smell like a chemical factory. <laughs> but these are mistakes when they happen. And if you really break it down, it's a, you know, especially here in the States, uh, cougars have been a big part of my life since the Hollywood cougar picture. Um, it's usually a sick animal, the last attack and that happened in the Northwest Washington state was an extremely sick animal. Um, or you go around the curve of a trail and come face to face with a cat, but you know, 999 times out of a thousand, you back up, the cat runs away also, and, and you're good to go. Or I couldn't be here right now because you don't get attacked by a cat and live. You know, there's a video of me being attacked by a, a Thai liger on my last story that was in the December issue on U.S. Tigers and the pet trade. And the tourism and all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't a wild animal. It was just playing. You don't live through an attack by a, a big cat. Yeah. I know it's a cliche, Steve, but, you know, we do a lot more harm to animals than they do to us, really, don't we? Um, I, I wanted to ask about that. I know that, like many of the photographers I'm talking to for the New Big Five project, your work is now focused almost entirely on conservation, isn't it? A hundred percent. I've had the... Uh extreme luck uh well it's not total luck because we've, we've tried to do it for a long time um on the last story to work uh with my partner of over 30 years sharon Gynup. she's a nat geo writer nat geo explorer woodrow wilson fellow and you know i think we started with the thai tiger temple and when sharon uh, got that closed by, you know, keep, she kept writing articles for netgeo.com. We did a big one. In the beginning, I did a seven and a half minute video they put up. And so doing something that has a tangible result, that gives the government's information they need to take action. Definitely interested now and doing stories that have a tangible result at the end. 
uh, Corona may have done the job for us in some ways. But China still has 6,000 tigers in uh, tiger farms. And whether that's going to be included in this uh, ban on selling wild animals or not, uh, we don't know because it, it just happened yesterday. It's an interesting time for the illegal wildlife trade, isn't it? That that ruling, um, it's, it's right. difficult to know what exactly is going to happen from it because, of course, there'll still be a black market and uh, and who knows how long the ban will last. I know it's meant to be permanent, but we don't really know what to expect from it at the moment, do we? Well, no, but, you know, look, look at what happened with the ivory ban. I mean, obviously, some of it has to go underground and Hong Kong still doesn't have one in place. But... Um, uh, from what it was like before the ban and what it's like now, Africa is a drastically different place. And the weekly reports of, you know, 100 elephants being poisoned and shot with poison arrows, machine gunned with AK-47s, we're not hearing about that now because it's yeah. really all based on supply and demand. And we really need to look at trafficking in that way. Uh, because you can't bring parks with police. We need to change people's uh, way of living and what they ingest and what they believe. And I think that, you know, catastrophes move people to action. I think what's interesting with big cats is that people see, they see the photos and maybe they see them when they go to Africa or Asia and they're such powerful animals and they see that they're there and they maybe think that these populations are doing quite well. From your work, I wonder if you can tell us what the the truth is. Big cat species are facing difficulties all over the world, aren't they? Oh, definitely. No, um, I was just in Maasai Mara and Kenya and that's one of the places that has a good population left of lions, but lions are being hammered throughout their territory. I did a leopard story and TV show for Nadia Wilde. Um, leopards are just the forgotten cat because they live on the periphery of where lions are at. They uh, eat a lot of livestock because it, they don't have a proper amount of prey, but uh, the fact that these animals are losing uh, a lot of their home ranges with human encroachment into protected areas and just areas that have been wild for the cats that they've lived in, that they're in big trouble. Um, I don't think India is ever going to lose its tigers uh, they obviously have problems with development and mining and roads and railroads being put through these tiger reserves, but they do have 50 tiger reserves. But the rest of the species, it's going to take a whole lot, the subspecies of tigers to save. Cheetahs are being hammered because of the pet trade. Yeah. Uh, and so people do go on safari and go, wow, it's incredible what I got to see. But you have to temper everything with the fact that you're in a very unique location and these animals are in big trouble. So if you want to be able to see these animals in the future or have your grandkids or however you want to word it, see them, please help us in spreading the word because it's all, you know, 
if you help the animals, you're going to help the people too. I always say local people need to benefit from living with predators. And if we do things that way, um, that both the, the animals and the humans that live with them benefit economically, then we can help change things. Yeah, I mean, you've you've talked about this issue, I think, with jaguars in Brazil as well, the, the loss of right. habitat around the world, populations growing. So I guess these problems are going to increase. Well, they are. I mean, it's one of the proudest things that I've done was on that first uh, big cat story. I didn't know that just getting two pictures published in National Geographic on the third largest cat in the world, having two pictures in the magazine, all of a sudden, you know, the ranches in that area became ecotourism lodges. And now it's the only place you can go see jaguars. So that is an oasis for the cats now. The prevalence of palm oil spreading throughout Central and South America and, and, you know, cutting down the Amazon, you name it, oil in the Western Amazon, uh, you know, they're in big trouble. And then we find out, um, Sharon and I, at the end of the story, that because of all these Chinese infrastructure projects, then we go into the market and the Iquitos in the uh, natural medicine aisle, there's jaguar skins hanging up. Mm-hmm. And we find out that poaching has ramped up in Bolivia and Peru because of the desire by a new Chinese market in Shanghai for jaguar canines. So you kill the cat for the four canines. So if you make money at something, even if it's a created market, you know, it's going to succeed. So that's just another battle that we have to fight. It is. I mean, there are so many battles, aren't there? And I wondered if you feel optimistic. I mean, we just talked about the illegal wildlife trade and how there are changes happening in China, but there are there are so many fronts to fight, aren't there? Do you, do you feel optimistic for the future that we might get this handled? Or Yeah, I'm part of Photographers Against Wildlife Crime. And uh, Britta just sent out an email yesterday saying that you know, her video of her talk in China got 900,000 views. And now with the um, ban on wildlife selling in the wild wildlife markets, that gives you hope right there. I mean, seeing, even though it's not perfect, seeing what's happened with the ivory ban. But, you know, I think the foundation of all this is if you aren't positive, then nothing gets done when you have a negative attitudes towards anything in your life, it's like you're dragging around a ball and chain. So yeah, I, I, I always have to be positive or why would, why would I do this? You know, I tell people, do you understand how long we, we, we spend away from our families? If you ever want to ask a wildlife stuffer that's lucky enough to work for geographic, and gets a lot of time in the field. I mean, that's a huge uh, issue. Um, and so I have to be positive that what I'm doing is worthwhile or I couldn't do it. I'd, you know, walk off a cliff somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I wouldn't because I uh, have a positive uh, personality and I'm always looking for the next thing 
that we can try to make a difference. Working with people and animals um, and finding organizations that work with communities and uh, issues they may have with wildlife, that's vitally important to me. Steve, I'm just going to pause to explain to people listening that this podcast we're doing is part of the New Big Five project, where we're creating a new Big Five of wildlife. The old Big Five was based on the most difficult animals in Africa for hunters to shoot and kill. The new Big Five that we're setting up is all about wildlife photography from all over the world, rather than hunting. So I want to ask people listening to go onto the New Big Five website, newbigfive.com, and to vote for their own personal choices for five animals they'd like to be included in the new Big Five. Steve, I'm asking every photographer I speak to to name their personal top five of wild animals. What would your five be? Well, um, I love all big cats, so Mm -hmm. I'd have to put in tigers, lions, cheetahs, leopards, and I love elephants because of their social structure. And to me, it's kind of like big cats also in a way, because one of my pet peeves is the whole bit about scientists saying don't anthropomorphize animals. And I say do. Mm. The closer we are to them, the more we understand that they have personalities, feelings, the more empathy that we can have for animals. Maybe we'll have more empathy for ourselves also and our fellow human beings because we're doing a lousy job of it. So uh, we need to strengthen our connection with animals. Of all of those, which is your number one favorite animal to spend time photographing or to see in photos? Well, it's really hard getting good tiger pictures. Um, I'd much rather be in Africa and just roam around and see animals easily. But it's kind of been um, our mission to help save tigers because they are the world's most endangered cat. And probably because I've spent more time with them. I mean, it is funny on the last tiger story, the opener was a Sumatran tiger, but I never saw one. I was, I like doing things people haven't done before and we couldn't find any wild Sumatran tiger pictures that didn't come from a, a trail cam. Um, and the same thing with the Indo-Chinese tiger. So uh, we couldn't find any and I, I, I got both of them, but I never saw and I don't, I I saw Indo-Chinese tiger, but not a Sumatran. So spending that so many years working with the animal, I think that has become my favorite. But what's my favorite to photograph? Something that I don't have to spend days and weeks to find. If we are going with the the tiger, the um, they are incredibly photogenic animals, aren't they? I mean, they just look beautiful. They do, but. Uh, you know, now that I do uh, a couple workshops a year, I really appreciate and uh, understand the importance of the time that we're given at Nat Geo and serendipity that may happen that you'll never, ever see again. A moment happens, boom. And we have a lot of cats and grass, flat cats, this. So you're always looking for that one moment, and a great moment is mom and cubs because it brings through the emotion between the cub and the mother or vice versa that we could transfer into humans 
Um, and once that emotion comes to us from a animal of any kind, that gives us a connection. And like I said, empathy, which is vitally important mm-hmm. for us to really care about these animals in a way that may bring about concrete change. A tiger is particularly close to your heart? Yep, because all that time with them. Yeah. Even if I didn't see him, I mean, the first story I did was on the Hukong Valley in northwestern Myanmar, Burma. I never saw a tiger. Almost. We saw tracks filling up with water, so the cat was just meters in front of us. But then I got stuck in quicksand, so we lost that one because they had to get me out. But, you know, I spent months there. I never saw a tiger. So. But you did get stuck in quicksand. I heard about that. Yeah, and all, all the locals that were that were with me just turned around and started laughing. But the guy that was like my, quote, assistant, though we couldn't speak a word to each other, he tried to save me, and he got stuck, but he fell back. So if you ever get caught in quicksand, fall backwards onto dry ground and then crawl out on your elbows. That's, that's a pretty good tip. It hasn't happened to me yet. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, when it does... I was in the middle by the time I was sinking, so I was a goner if there hadn't been anybody there. I was saved by my camera fanny pack. It was a giant fanny pack that stopped me because of its volume, its width. Is it exactly like you see in the films? Do you just sink and you can't stop? Yeah, and there's absolutely no way you could... You know, the only way that you wouldn't stop wriggling trying to get out is if you were alone. But if you know there's people around you, even though they're in front of me, I started screaming because they were going after the tiger. They came back and just started laughing because I saw them tiptoe across this wet sand. But I thought, oh, wow. as soon as they started running, I thought, well, we must be close. And then I thought, why are they running after a tiger? Uh, but they all ran back and they, they knew what to do. Um, but they did have a concerned look on their face after the first uh, piece of wood they tried to get me out with broke. And I had three cameras around my neck, you know, and all this. I was reading your website and it does seem like these kind of things do happen to you, which I know goes with the job. But uh, grizzlies chasing you down in Siberia, rhinos attacking you in India, which has been the closest call you've had. The rhinos in India, there are too many. I always say, you know, it's interesting to note that Kaziranga was created in 1905 to save the Indian one-horned rhino. And if you think about in 1905, that the Maharajas, the British, were, you know, hunting this rhino because it was so unique. It's the one that looks like it has armored plating on it. But now the protection has done a really good job bringing the rhinos back. And, of course, they're very protective of the fact that they have 85% of the remaining Indian one-armed rhinos are in Kaziranga. But they need to spread them out to the rest of the country because they're becoming very territorial. And guards can't even walk in certain parts of the park. They have to ride the... uh, anti-poaching patrol elephants which are ex-logging elephants the rhinos have become dangerous um what happened in your situation they would constantly smash into our jeep 
Um, and this was in different parts of the park. So it wasn't like, well, mom taught the uh, rhino cubs to uh, attack a Jeep in this one area. No, I mean, these were miles and miles and miles apart. Uh, but we were attacked in the Jeep. But the scariest thing was being on the anti-poaching patrol elephant and trying to get a photograph that was unique by getting the tusk and the trunk of the elephant in the foreground and the rhino behind it using a, you know, remote control camera on a bamboo pole. Mm. And the uh, rhino attacked the elephant that we were on. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it's the most scared I've ever been in my life. And it's funny how things go because you get scared a lot doing these stories. Just mistakes. Like I said, you go around the corner, you're face to face with a big cat. Um, and that's just normal. But this was something where I almost flew off the elephant. I did fly off of it and just grabbed my fingertips, grabbed a hold of the seat. But something happened internally in my heart and my mind that has never happened before and and i i couldn't even watch that i didn't even know my assistant was behind me videotaping the whole thing um and i had trouble when i found that video even watching it really and uh, i had five weeks to go i mean five unscheduled weeks that you stayed because it was the worst weather in like 40 years so you have to stay because you're supposed to get you know all these pictures that you wrote down when you did the proposal i'm not going to leave just because my day rate's done i'm going to stay um until i get the pictures and it was really really hard um it mentally it had an effect on you oh yeah what you were talking about shows the real commitment that goes into wildlife photography the amount of time you once slept in a tent for up to six months, I think at minus 40, to track snow leopards. Um, do you think wildlife photography, it demands that kind of commitment? I think in the end it does, because there's no way that you can um, come out with a real in-depth story uh, without spending a large amount of time with the animal that you're there to film or photograph. Our first uh, trip for many wildlife photographers would be 10 weeks. You get to know the people that you're with and that that's the whole trust factor about being in dangerous situations. You learn the habitats, you learn the weather, you learn the animals because I'm on the ground in the beginning tracking these animals to try to find places to put up camera traps. So they're working 24 seven while I'm out photographing. And it's really important to get those wide angle, low angle, eye to eye, intimate portraits or behavior. Like when I put it on a water hole for tigers or something or on a kill in Africa because uh, you can't put it on a tiger kill because tigers never leave their kill. But to do that and you need to know all those things and get used to the animal's behavior every single day seven days a week no days off and you learn that and after a while it's like okay we, you know it's been this long since they did, had a kill that this group of tigers you wouldn't know that if you popped in for a couple of weeks and then split 
and maybe you came back a month later or two months or whenever you had enough money to come back. So it's because National Geographic has given me this opportunity that I've been able to do these in-depth stories. And trust me, I didn't know anything when I started. Hmm. I also wanted to ask about your your famous photo of the Hollywood Cougar. Um, you touched on it earlier. Uh, I know this is the it's a cougar in front of the Hollywood sign. I guess it became a symbol of this clash between wildlife and human development. Um, I wondered if you could update us on the story a little bit. Now they're going to build the largest wildlife overpass in the world. All L.A. County schools have programs on wildlife, wildlife corridors for the children. And it's just had an incredible impact. The L.A. County Natural History Museum has a permanent exhibit. It's the number one draw of the whole museum there at La Brea Tar Pits. I mean, we've we've talked about the, you know, the pressures facing wildlife. Do you do you think we need more inventive solutions like this around the world? I think we do because it just shows in the greater L.A. area. Let's say you're standing in Santa Monica or Hollywood. If you look to the north or you're in Griffith Park, let's say, and you're on a trail, when you look to the north, you see the mountains that ring the northern part of L.A. They're full of animals, mountain lions, bobcats, coyotes, foxes, you name it. And people became very interested in the fact that they had wildlife in their area and proud of the fact and wanting to have more wildlife corridors and but then even bad things happen people don't know that california loses a mountain lion a day a lot of them are depredation permits because california is full of agriculture and a lot of ranching of sheep goats and of course cattle it's really difficult for these cats to cross the 101 these 10 lanes of freeway, so the wildlife overpass will help. Um, with the New Big Five project, we are, of course, looking at these quite often the big iconic species. One of the things I also like to do as a photographer is, is to concentrate on the, the smaller animals, the, the right. lesser known animals. So I wondered if you could pick out what I'd call a, an unsung hero, uh, an animal that maybe doesn't get the attention they deserve. People have picked things like pangolins. Well, I, I think all the small cat species are vitally important. I've had the pleasure of working a lot in the Western Hemisphere with ocelots. I think it's great to look at the small cat species that people don't pay attention to in Africa. E even the uh, African wildcat, which, you know, like Cleopatra had, that's where house cats come from, looks like a tabby. I mean, it was going extinct in South Africa only because they were killing so many of them. In other parts, it's not. And then to see things like jungle cats and the fishing cat. I love the fishing cat for many reasons. A lot of people say that cats don't like water. And I've spent, you know, so much time working with jaguars that spend half their life in the water and tigers that are in the water all the time but so many cats live in water and it's great to have a cat that actually fishes um because all cats do and my first story where there were jaguars you know going into the waves at the in the ocean because they would see fish in the waves and they'd go after it 
And so to see things that we don't expect and these smaller species are vitally important to the health of any ecosystem. But you need to save that top predator first. If you save the top predator, you save everything underneath it. Steve, I'd be happy to talk all day, but I, I think that's a good place to end. I wanted to say thank you very much for being on the New Big Five podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, good luck with everything. And thanks for asking me to be a part of it all. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. To everyone listening, please go on to the New Big Five website, newbig5.com, and vote for your choices to include in the New Big Five of wildlife photography. On the website, you can find many more podcasts, as well as interviews with photographers and conservationists, articles on climate change, conservation, and the world's wildlife, photography tips, photo galleries, and plenty more. Please help us spread the word about the New Big Five project by sharing it on social media. Hashtag New Big Five. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. If you'd like to get involved with the project, drop us a line. Contact details are on the website. Thanks for listening.